about it when I was preparing the three. Uh, but this morning we are in Ephesians chapter 6 in this class as the young people have been studying together the whole armor of God. In the morning worship service will be in Deuteronomy chapter 20 where instructions given to the Israelites as they enter into the promised land as to how they are to, in, how they are to engage in warfare. So again, we seem to have that theme. And then this afternoon, just one sermon from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15, which is when David is fleeing from Absalom and how he responds to these, this conflict that he's experiencing in his life. So I didn't purposely make it so those themes are in all three uh, times that we're in the Word of God today, but nevertheless, that's where we are. So maybe somebody's in the midst of a conflict or a warfare, and hopefully you'll find these things to be helpful. But in our class, we've been in Ephesians chapter 6, so you can turn there if you're not there already. And we've been considering together this whole armor of God. Now, just by way of review, in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us that as believers, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And then throughout those three chapters, Paul opens up all those blessings that are ours when we've been united to Christ by faith. But then starting in chapter 4 and going through the end of this letter, Paul moves from what we might call the believer's position in Christ to now the believer's practice. He gets very practical with regard to the reality that being in Christ comes with all these blessings and it ought to have an effect upon how we live. And you see in chapter 4 in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He says, I want you to walk in a way. I want your, your conduct to be worthy of the gospel. Now, in my class every week, I give them a worksheet in which we review several things that we've already talked about. And the first question is this. What does it mean to walk worthy of your calling? That's it. You guys are good. They've been listening. I did not prep them beforehand. I just want you to know. All right? It means your conduct ought to, what did you say? Match your profession. In other words, you say you're united to Christ. Therefore, your life ought to demonstrate that that's true in you, that you are in Christ, and it affects the way that you live. And what you find as you read down through chapters 4 and 5 is, is Paul deals with many areas of the believer's life. He talks about how if you're united to Christ, 
Your love ought to be different. You ought to walk as wise men. You ought to walk in the Spirit. It affects how you worship God. It affects your home life, your marriage. It affects what you are as a son or a daughter. It affects your employment. It affects, Paul says, so many areas, if not all the areas of your life. So walk in this way. Now, the thing is, that's not easy. Paul doesn't say, and, and this comes just naturally. I mean, this ought to be like breathing in and out. So you, no, it, it, it can be difficult. Why? Because we have an opposition. We have one who desires to see us fail in walking as we ought to walk. He is the devil, Satan, the one who fights against us. And so that leads me to question number two. Somebody besides Jenica this time. What is the goal of opposition? What's the goal of the opposition? To make us fall. All right? That's, that's his desire. He, he wants to see us fall. You look here in Ephesians chapter 2, I mean chapter 6, and, and you see the apostles saying, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. And then down to verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore. He, he wants to see us standing. He wants to see us, as it were, engaged in this battle. And so then he says we have this armor this armor that God provides for us to fight in this battle. It's how kind of God. Think about it. He's put us in a position where there is real opposition. And the opposition we face as we live in this world is strong. He's powerful. And as I've told the young people, by yourself, you'll never stand. Satan is more powerful than any of us by ourselves. So any man who says, I'm simply going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to live this Christian life on my own, I need no help, is a man who is doomed to failure. But God hasn't left us alone. He's given us this armor to help us in the midst of the conflict. And what's the first piece of armor? That's not on your question. That's not on your sheets. You ought to know it. What is it? Belt of truth. The belt of truth. It was, if you're a soldier, it was that which went around your waist. It would often be of such a nature that it would help your back in the midst of conflict. It was also useful because they would wear the long flowing gowns and they could drape them up and stick them in so that they're able to advance in this warfare. All right. So as the soldiers fought, fought 
they would have this belt on called the belt of truth. And what is truth? All right. Very good. These guys are impressing me. I don't know if they're impressing you. All right. When we speak of truth, we speak of two things. The Word of God, that's truth. And then truth can also mean the idea of sincerity, genuineness, as opposed to being a hypocrite or pretending to be something that you're not. And so, by way of definition, and, and these are not inspired, I came up with these some time ago, but maybe they will be helpful. But here's what we said with regard to the belt of truth. To wear the belt of truth means I'm examining, or I should have left that blank, it's blank there, isn't it? I'm examining my commitment to the truth and my sincerity to live according to that in the midst of conflict. So it's to wear the belt of truth means as I fight this battle, I'm committed to this word and to be obedient to this word in my life. And it means that I want to be sincere in living by this word. I'm not going to wear a mask. It's going to be genuine and sincere if I'm going to fight this battle successfully. So that's what we said was the belt of truth. What's the second piece of armor? Of the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the, the breastplate would cover from the hip to the neck area. All right. Why was the breastplate so important? And what did it do for the soldier in the midst of battle? Very good. Jenica, you're getting an A. All right. All right. It would protect all the vital organs. All right. The heart, the liver, the lungs. All right. In the midst of the battle. We said that if you went into war without the breastplate, what would you be doing? Committing suicide, all right? Committing suicide. Because that's what they would go for. They would seek to get that heart and do injury to you in that way. Now, when we say we got to wear the breastplate of righteousness, we talked about, and this isn't on your sheets, but we talked about the two elements of righteousness. Do you remember what they were? Are they? Are you going to get all the other sheets out? <laughs> I think they probably are. They're, what? When we think of righteousness, a believer has righteousness uh, in, in two ways, we might say. Yes. What? I'm sorry, I can't hear. You said partial. What, what did you say? 
Okay, what, what is perfect righteousness? Right. Well, yeah. But when we think of perfect righteousness, we think of the righteousness that is ours in Christ Jesus. So we, we call that imputed. Remember that word, guys? Imputed righteousness. A righteousness that is not our own, but a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So that when I stand before God, and even now, as God looks upon me, he sees a perfect righteousness, which, if you know me, is unbelievable. Really? Perfect righteousness in this guy? But yes, because I'm united to Christ, and Christ's righteousness is perfect. So, so I have this perfect righteousness in Christ. All right, what's the other? Imparted righteousness. Did you find the sheets? <laughs> Uh, imparted righteousness, which is a pursuit of holiness, a, a pursuit of godliness that, that every believer ought to be engaged in. And when, when one is pursuing righteousness, it produces in the life of true believers three things. What are those three things? All right. I don't know if you're looking at old sheets or you guys just have this down, all right? It, it brings about a hatred for sin, a love for Christ, and a fellowship with God. That's the pursued righteousness. That's what we call the imparted righteousness. So you have imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness as you pursue holiness. Therefore, our definition of the breastplate of righteousness is this. To wear the breastplate of righteousness means I am relying on the perfect righteousness of Christ and striving to be more like Him in the conflict. I'm relying upon the perfect righteousness of Christ. That, that, that's my confidence. But I am striving to be more like him in the conflict. All right? That's the second piece of armor. The third piece of armor was... What? All right. The gospel feet, shoes of the gospel of peace. All right? Paul says that we're to having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, what does shod mean? To bind on, to put on. All right? We don't use that word very often. Did you, have you shod your feet this morning with shoes? You put them on, you bind them on. All right? And a good soldier needs good footwear to aid him in two things. What's that? Stability and quickness, or I said advancement, all right? You need a good pair of shoes as a soldier if you're going to stand firm in the midst of the warfare, but also as you pursue the enemy, all right? The shoes did that. And here they're called the shoes of the gospel of what? Peace. 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 The gospel brings peace. Peace between you and God. So the believer needs to have covering, he needs to have covered his feet with the gospel of peace. All right. 
So what does that mean? How do we define that? Well, we defined it this way. To wear the shoes of the gospel of peace means preaching the gospel to myself every day, bringing a calmness in the midst of conflict. Preaching the gospel to myself every day. Every day reminding myself that I'm in Christ. I am right with God because of what Christ accomplished on the cross on my behalf. And that brings me a peace in the midst of a conflict. It it brings me peace in the midst of facing opposition Because in the end, Christ said, it is finished, everything is done, we shall be victorious. So we have the shoes of the gospel of peace. Well, that's a review. That's where we've been. Young people, I'm very impressed. I'm glad you've been listening. So uh, today we come to the fourth piece of armor. And the fourth piece of armor is found in verse 16. In addition to all, in other words, he's not saying, some translate this, most importantly, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, along with all these three, make sure you have the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we come now to the shield of faith. Uh, I've covered all that already. So let's, let's, for a few moments, just look at the shield of faith on a soldier... Perhaps Paul there in prison writing this, and and he's looking at that soldier, and he sees he's got the belt on, and he's got the breastplate on, he's got the right shoes on. But the shield is so huge that perhaps Paul doesn't notice that right away. It's maybe laying up against the wall someplace, and maybe that's why he's, oh, and, and don't forget the shield of faith. A shield for the soldier was about four feet long and about two and a half feet wide. I mean, they were huge. I, I know oftentimes we, when we look at a soldier and we talk about his shield, we, we think of a guy who's got something on his arm and he's holding it, and, you know, it's right here. But, but the shield for the soldier in biblical times was huge. In fact, the Greek word for shield and the word for door are very close. They're very close. So these shields actually look like a door. They were two pieces of wood fastened together And covering that wood would usually be animal skin. And oftentimes, they would 
wet the animal skin. So you, so you get a picture, and here's this, this big shield, and, and it's, it's covered with animal skin. There may be water dripping. Why is it important that maybe water, and why is it important that animal skin be covering the shield? So it didn't burn. That's right. Remember, there's, there's flaming arrows coming at you. And, and if flaming arrows on fire hits the wood, <laughs> the whole thing may burn up. So the idea was to see those arrows extinguished. All right? that, that was the purpose. The, the arrows were often tipped in tar and lit so that the enemy shot these arrows towards you and, and they did it for the purpose to kill you or at least injure you. Perhaps you, I mean, I grew up in an era where we had a lot of cowboy and Indian movies. Remember those things? I, I don't see them much anymore. But I remember, you know, the cavalry rushing in and the Indians behind their rocks. And, and then all of a sudden they just start shooting arrows. Bam, bam. And all these arrows are flying through the air. And, and as you're watching this movie, I mean, every so often one would hit the cavalry guy. Oh, and he'd fall off his horse and, and so forth. And so that's sort of the picture we have here with, with these, these arrows being shot up in the air for the purpose of injuring you. These are not, I also remember, because we had a lot of cowboy and Indian movies when I was growing up, um, I remember going to the little five and dime store and maybe have 50 cents or something like that, and I could buy a, a bow and arrow. But if you remember what those things were like, they were little sticks that had a piece of string on them and then little arrows that either had a suction cup on it or something like that. And so when you shot it, you hope somebody's at least no more than two feet away from you because the arrow usually went boop, you know, and didn't travel anywhere. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bows that would fly those arrows into the air with, with the purpose of doing you injury. Right. So Paul's now using this imagery of arrows flying through the air from the enemy with the idea of hurting or doing injury to those they're shooting at. The purpose of the shield was to keep the arrows from doing just that to them, right? hurting them in that way. So that's the description of the armor that Paul sets before us. Now, what, no, I didn't. Sorry. I usually bring a picture and show them, but I, I didn't do that. Sorry. Um, Google it. You'll sure to find one. <laughs> so, all right. So now then, Paul says, we're in this spiritual battle. It is real. All right. And we have someone who's shooting at us. Who, who, who's the one shooting the arrows? Verse 16. What's he called here in verse 16? It's, you're, those, the evil one. Right? He is the evil one. Now, what does that terminology... He doesn't call him Satan. He doesn't call him the devil. He doesn't call him the adversary. He uses these terms. He's the evil one. What does that imply? Just that title itself. 
right? He wants to do harm, right? Anything else come to mind? He's wicked. He's wicked. Don't think this guy is going to come along and say, listen, if you want, we can talk and maybe we can reach some type of peace treaty. I don't think this guy is going to use tactics in which, you know, before they dropped the bomb on Pearl Harbor, didn't they? The story goes that they passed out leaflets and says, hey, we're going to be dropping a bomb, so you need to get out, get out of town, leave. This is a warning. We're coming. Be ready. All right? That's not how Satan, Satan's not going to come along and say, Here, here's how I'm going to go after you. Okay? Here's what I'm going to do. Just be ready. Flee if you can't. No. He's a schemer, and he's wicked, and he has a desire to see you not only fall, but see you destroyed. And so he's coming with fierceness. So when we think of the term evil one, it communicates the idea of fierceness and wickedness. Wickedness. And he shoots these arrows. And as you've heard me say before, Satan does not waste an arrow. He knows exactly what arrow to shoot at you. He knows your temperament. He knows your weaknesses. And he will choose a particular arrow that he, he he's not going to choose an arrow and say, oh, this is the arrow of murder. I, I'm going to shoot this arrow at Mary because I know she wants to murder somebody. I, I hope that's not true. <laughs> I use, the, I use the young people's illustrations all the time, and then they want to know, so Mary really wants to murder somebody? No, I'm not. I'm just an illustration. Don't carry it any further than that. All right? But, but the point is, he, he's not going to waste an arrow. He knows if you're vulnerable to some addiction, he knows how to shoot the arrow to cause you to seek after that addiction. He knows if you have a struggle with regard to morality, He knows how to get you. And He is subtle. He is wicked. So that even there are occasions when you're driving down the road and you're having a good day, You may even have the Christian radio station on or playing a Getty CD. You're singing along with them. You look up and there on a billboard is a suggestive picture. And your minds immediately go in that direction. And you think, well, just a quick look. Just let me get... And you don't turn away as you are. Or I've got men who are accountable to me because of their vulnerableness on a computer or on social media where 
They're wanting to watch something to sort of relax for the evening. And all of a sudden, a certain movie pops up. And I've had them tell me, I know, I know, don't go to that one. Don't go to that one. And then I went to that one, just for a moment. But, but I realized it was, and thankfully, you know, I turned away from it. I repented, but I just want you to know, Pastor, it was there. And, but I, I did. I turned away from it. He, he is, he's a wicked schemer who once desires to bring you down, to hurt your testimony, to cause you to fall. Well, if we're going to get through this, I must move on. So how do we defend ourselves? How do we defend ourselves against this evil one? How can we survive against such a schemer, a fierce, wicked, evil one who desires to bring us down? Well, it's called the shield of faith. It will protect you against the onslaughts of arrows that the evil one will seek to shoot at you. It's faith. The shield of faith. Mr. Linsky says this, Hold up to the devil, not merely your believing or subjective faith, but the Word, the doctrine, the Scripture passages, the objective content of faith, of course, also, with your whole heart believing and relying upon its truth and power, you may believe with all your might, but that will not quench Satan. That will not quench. Satan will easily pierce through that, and, and you will be set on fire. In other words, you must, you must believe the Word of God. And you must believe what the Word of God has to say about who God is. You, you must lay hold of the truth and, and believe the truth and, and live by the truth. By faith, you are to hold to the truth. And you're to hold to the reality concerning the very character of God Himself. His attributes. Hold on to the truth and hold on to Him by faith. One man has said, the bigger your God, the more effective your shield. Know the promises of God. Know the promises of God, know the character of God, know the truth of God, believe them, embrace them, live by them. No longer live by sight, but live by faith. That's how we defeat the enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. We're familiar with this passage. It says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to someone for someone to devour. Now, most of us are familiar with that, right? 
I mean, as I was quoting that, you're quoting the lion. Oh, the, the devil is this roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. And that's usually where we stop. But, but wait a minute, Peter's got more to say. What else does Peter say? He says, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Hold on. Resist him by faith, knowing others are going through the same thing. So, by faith, you're to hold up who God is. And by faith, you're to hold to the truth. You're to believe what He says. So do you believe when God's Word says He's working all things for His glory? Do you believe that? And therefore, when things don't go as we think they ought to go, I'm able to press on, not quit, not fall, not become depressed or discouraged or in distress, but I, but I pursue this conflict because I know with all my heart God is working every circumstance for His glory. Do, do I really believe? I mean, all these texts are, are very familiar to us. We can put them over the mantle of our fireplaces, but, but do we really hold on to them? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. and what He will direct my path. He will lead me. Do, do I really believe that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Do, do I really believe that, that God is absolutely sovereign over all things? A friend of mine wrote me this week and was saying he's in the midst of going through some real challenges, unexpected challenges. It's not at all what he had planned when he decided to make a few moves in his life. But at the end of the text, he says to me, right now, I'm reading the sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. God is always good. And I wrote him back and said, excellent book. Other than your Bible, you're reading a good book right now that you need to read. The sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. Do we believe it? Do we believe that He's good? Do we believe that God is wise? That He knows what is best? Do, do we believe that God will be victorious over all things? It's the shield of faith. Believing in who God is and believing what His Word has to say. So my definition for the shield of faith is this. To wear the shield of faith means living by faith, trusting in who God is, and believing His Word in the continual conflict. To wear the shield of faith means living by faith, trusting in who God is, believing in His Word, 
in this continued conflict. The shield of faith. Alright? So, that's the next piece of armor that we have set before us. Alright, next will be the helmet of salvation. Maybe I should say, in my Sunday school class, I usually don't get this animated. But I'm behind a pulpit here. I'm not sitting at a table. So, anyway, the shield of righteousness. So, I've got a little bit of time purposely left over. Any, any questions, any comments, any add-ons? Yeah, Diane? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it means it's not in the original, so it's just the evil. And they put one in to sort of help us understand that. So, mm-hmm. Anything else? That's usually how my Sunday school class responds as well when I say any questions. <laughs> yeah, Cliff? Yeah, I mean, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where the truth of God is is now cast away. We live in a world where there is no such thing as absolute truth any longer, and men live as they want to live. We're living in a time, and we look around us, and we see these these must be the worst days ever. However... If you look back through church history, there has always been the worst days ever. But, but, and, and, and the Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 2 that as you cast off my truth and as you become stubborn and rebellious to the things of God, he tells us there in verse 5 of chapter 2, but because, and we'll get into this in the worship service too, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of the judgment of God. I mean, there's a time in which God says, okay, I've been patient long enough. You've rebelled. You're stubborn people. Now I'm going to release my wrath. His wrath isn't just in the end, upon the unbelievers, 
But his wrath may come upon nations who are stubborn and rebellious against him. And that wrath can be demonstrated by the evil that we see all around us in our day. We can expect that. He said, it's stored up, and one day I'm going to release it. Yeah, Diane? You can. I think maybe never did a part, but you know what? That's the thing. All of these folks and we could have something that's in two thousand sixteen where you say like, How did this happen? How did this happen? No. Right. No, it can. And we right. Right. Yeah, we don't we don't give up and be discouraged and sulk. No, we have the gospel, which is the hope that this world needs. We ought to be setting that gospel forth, and we ought to be praying. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Yes, God can do that. All right? So we pray to that end. But we ought to be making sure we got the whole armor of God, because it could be that he won't, and things will get worse. And we will, perhaps, you know, be burned at a stake or die for our faith. And that's a possibility. But yes, we have the gospel which can defeat anything if God is pleased by His Spirit. So yeah. Yes, both. Exactly. Anything else? All right. Very good. Young people, this is how you ask questions. When I say if you got any questions or anything, this a little discussion. All right, good. All right, well, put on the armor. Oh, church, arise. And go forward to battle. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for not leaving us alone to fight against the fierce enemy. But we thank you that this struggle that we're in, you've given us all that we need to stand firm in the midst of it. And Father, as we see the evil all around us, may we recognize that our only hope is found in You. And may that all the more cause us to fall on our knees and to pray, to seek Your face. May that all the more cause us to, to proclaim the Gospel. For it's the power of God to the end that men will be saved. And so, Father, we pray that You would not find us discouraged or defeated, but find us persevering and pursuing, standing firm and advancing for Your cause. And, Father, we pray that we might be people who will live by faith, For Your Word reminds us there in Hebrews 11 of all those who accomplished great things and persevered by faith. So may we be a people who live by faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Help us, we pray. Meet with us as we worship You. May our worship be pleasing in Your sight as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right. Well, thanks for coming to the Young People's Sunday School class. Hopefully we'll be back next week downstairs. We'll see. All right. You're dismissed.